Hello, my name is Amy Toy, the host of Angel Answers with Amy Toy. Besides being a radio show host, I'm also an intuitive counselor who provides spiritual insight into matters of the heart. Are you confused about your love life? Thinking of getting a new job? Wondering about your purpose and why you are here? I work very closely with not only the angelic realm, but also those who have crossed over to the other side. All sessions are strictly confidential. I also offer long-distance healing sessions using angelic energy. This angelic energy, also known as Integrated Energy Therapy, IET, can be done through Skype or on the phone and helps you get the issues out of the tissues. For first-time clients only, I am offering a 20% discount. You can find me online on amytoyamytoy.com, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, or email me at angelicamy35 at gmail.com or simply call 727-514-7323. May the angels carry you through, and this is for entertainment purposes only. And welcome to Angel Answers with Amy Toy. I am your host, Amy Toy. We have a fascinating guest with us today. His name is Brian C. Wilson, Ph.D., and he is going to be talking about Johnny Fetzer and the quest for the new age. And let me introduce you about Brian's background a little bit. Brian C. Wilson, author of the new book, John E. Fetzer and the Quest for the New Age, is a professor of American Religious History in the Department of Comparative Religion at Western Michigan University, WMU. It was during his years in the Peace Corps that he had developed a fascination with religion, initially fueled by what he experienced of the ancient religion of the Maya and of Roman Catholicism. Returning to the U.S., Wilson completed a Ph.D. in Religious Studies at the University of California, Santa Barbara, where he studied religion in the United States. In 1993, he co-authored a book on new religious movements in California. After moving to WMU, Wilson wrote an award-winning book on serial inventor and the leading seven-day Adventist of his time, Dr. John Harvey Kellogg. Based on the success of that book, the Fetzer Institute invited Wilson to write a full-length spiritual biography of its founder, John E. Fetzer. The Kalamazoo-based Fetzer was a radio pioneer, media mogul, and a longtime owner of the Detroit Tigers baseball team. Of his many pursuits, however, there is one that is not well known, his lifelong spiritual search, which led him from traditional Christianity to an exploration of a variety of metaphysical religions culminating in the New Age. In many ways, the story of John Fetzer's long spiritual search mirrors that of millions of Americans who sought new ways of thinking and being in the evolving metaphysical religions of the 20th century. And John E. Fetzer and the Quest for the New Age, Wilson not only explores the evolution of Fetzer's beliefs, but how he put them into action by permanently endowing three funds that will foster research into the scientific spiritual interface for years to come and help cultivate a more peaceful, loving, and inclusive world founded on the principle that we are all connected through one infinite force. Welcome, Brian C. Wilson, to the program. How are you today? I'm doing very well. How are you? I am great. I am great. And it's interesting in the intro that Johnny Futzer did uh, go from traditional Christianity to metaphysics, which is kind of my own journey oh. uh, myself. Uh, you know, I was brought up Catholic, and now mm-hmm. I'm New Ager, if you want to call it that. I just believe everything's connected. So, but hey. mm-hmm. 
It's an, it's a label. So let's go into it, Brian. Who was John E. Fetzer? Well, Johnny Fetzer, um, he lived from 1901 to uh, 1991, so he almost made it to his 90th birthday, just a couple months shy. Um, he uh, was born and raised in a small town in Indiana and eventually moved to Kalamazoo, Michigan, where he founded one of the first uh, uh, commercial radio stations in southwest Michigan. So this was way back in the 1920s, 1920s, 30s. And he basically built that single station, WKZO, which is still on the air today, uh, into a kind of media empire uh, here in Michigan and, and um, uh, the Midwest. And he got into FM radio and then into television during the 1950s. And later on, he was a pioneer in um, cable TV, especially sports on cable TV. Um, and in Michigan, he's probably today best well-known as the longtime owner of the Detroit Tigers baseball team. And throughout all of this, he basically made millions of dollars. He was a brilliant businessman. And by the time he passed away, he was one of the 400, 400 richest men in America, according to Forbes magazine. So that's his kind of exoteric life. That's his, his business life. But what really fascinated me, of course, was this man also had a parallel spiritual life, which was very, very interesting. It, it's interesting in our society that we think that spirituality and wealth are two separate entities when they combine into one thing, I feel. Yeah, I, I agree. And with John Fetzer, they were kind of intimately entwined because mm -hmm. um, he felt, on the one hand, that his business success was due in part to uh, some of his metaphysical beliefs. And we can talk a little bit more about that. That's an interesting mm -hmm. story. But he also felt that um, his spiritual quest uh, really informed the reason for why he was pursuing wealth and the meaning, the ultimate meaning of his wealth. Um, because by the end of his life, uh, in the 1970s and 80s, uh, he basically liquidated his, his businesses. He sold them off and used the proceeds to uh, underwrite a, a foundation, which is now today the Fetzer Institute, which uh, was designed, or still does, carries on Fetzer's spiritual vision. Hmm. That's cool. That's something to aspire to for us, you know, billionaires who want to become billionaires. <laughs> yep, yep. What was Fetzer like as a person? Well, um, those who knew him, his friends, found him a, a very warm character, very interested in the world. Uh, he was also very intelligent. Um he had just a variety of different interests. And um, the other thing about him that's interesting in this regard is that he was also f a fairly private person. Um, so he, he kept his spiritual beliefs to him himself throughout most of his life. Um, he, he started exploring metaphysical religions. He, he basically left Christianity uh, at the end of the 1920s and began exploring intensively metaphysical religions in the 1930s, and of course continued that in, until he died in 91. But throughout that long period, those decades, um, he basically kept his spiritual quest to himself, and even his closest business associates. They knew he was interested in this stuff, but they had absolutely no idea just how 
deep he was into uh, the metaphysical worldview, and, and as I put it in the book, the quest for the new age. Um, so he was very good at compartmentalizing. Uh, he, he, he had his spiritual life and he had his business life, and for the most part he kept them separate, except for those ways in which he thought his spiritual life influenced his business decisions. It, that is interesting because sometimes people don't realize how multi-layered a person is. They can see it, a person on television, a politician, or a millionaire, or a celebrity, but they don't realize how multi-layered that's only just a part of their lives. It's not the whole of their lives. That's right. That's right. And I think with Fetzer, people, I think when people who who knew Fetzer will, when they read the book, they'll be very surprised. And I've already had this feedback from people who knew him uh, very well uh, as a business associate and as a friend. They had no idea just how deep his spiritual beliefs and his spiritual quest went. Um, it was a part of himself that, like I said, he until his seventies and eighties, he really was um, very private about. You know, like I said, that's part of my journey too. I, you know, we're all seekers, I think, in some sense. We just seek in different ways, whether it's metaphysical or traditional Christianity or Buddhism or whatever. You know, that is, you know, that's part of life. We're here to experience that. And it sounds like Fetzer had a different experience that, you know, it's how he paralleled that. It's just fascinating when I was reading the book how the parallelisms were in a sense. Yeah. Yeah, um, he he never stopped questing. That's the interesting thing. He he really believed that human beings were put on the planet to evolve spiritually, mm-hmm. and he understood that you know depending on um, what your your kind of context of your life and and the environment you're born into uh, put constraints on this. But for him, uh, coming out of small town Indiana and and this very Christian background, nevertheless he branched out into these these interesting metaphysical ways uh, and never stopped. <clears throat> so even by the end of his life, he was still reading and coming up with new practices uh, and uh, just really evolving spiritually. Yes, and that's what we're here to do. And I think, um, well, that's my another opinion I'll get into when we get into the interview more. What got Futzer interested in metaphysical traditions and alternate alternative spirituality in general? Well, um, like we've been talking about, um, he was brought up a very conventional Christian, uh, at least for the first part of his life. He was <clears throat> baptized a Methodist, and he went to Methodist Sunday schools and read the Bible, and, and in fact, one of his few actual spiritual experiences, mystical experiences, uh, had to do with Jesus. So he, he came out of this very Christian background, but when he was a teenager, his mother uh, joined the Seventh-day Adventist Church, um, which is an uh, apocalyptic denomination, um, founded in Michigan back in 1863, and now it's pretty well a world religion. And Fetzer's mother became uh, a member, so he basically followed her into the church. And he was a, a good Seventh-day Adventist um, for several years. Uh, and in fact, it took him through college. He went to a Seventh-day Adventist college. But at the end of that, um, he began kind of reassessing his spiritual life and decided that there were just too many kind of restraints and constraints placed on him by the Seventh-day Adventist tradition. Like she recognized as being very important in his overall formation, but he felt at that point it was time to leave. 
And so he cast about for a kind of new spiritual direction. And one of the first things he did, this was back in 1933, is he headed south from Kalamazoo into Indiana and went to a place called Camp Chesterfield, which is a spiritualist camp. Um, and there he encountered uh, all sorts of metaphysical currents, not only spiritualism, but also various forms of divination, like astrology and, and doubting and things like that, uh, psychic healing, um, all sorts of things, new thought, mind over matter kinds of movements. All these things he was exposed to at Camp Chesterfield. Um, and the other thing is Camp Chesterfield uh, – had then and still does have, Champ Chesterfield is still a, a thriving institution, uh, a metaphysical bookstore. So John Fetzer said that every time he went down there, he would come back to Kalamazoo with an armload of books. And so every time he went down there, and he, he continued going down there from the 30s to the 70s, he would always come back with uh, a new set of books, a new set of traditions to study. So this is really how he kind of educated himself uh, about a variety of metaphysical traditions. I mean, everything from spiritualism and new thought and theosophy and hermeticism and Rosicrucianism, I can go on and on and on. Um, it's amazing kind of the ground he covered. Uh, in his readings. So that's what led him into a into the metaphysical worldview. And, and for him, it really clicked. It really, there was something that was he found very compelling about it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. When you're a seeker and want to do, yes, it will click for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, cool. It's awesome <laughs> when you're on that path. Um, because he went from um, a traditional religion, what did... Fetzer mean by spirituality? What was his definition? Mm-hmm. Well, I think uh, one of the reasons why the metaphysical uh, uh, traditions clicked with him was because um, I think it goes back to his earliest radio days. Um, when he was a kid, uh, he had a, a brother-in-law, uh, a guy named Fred Ribble, who was a telegrapher on the Wabash Railroad, and um, Fred basically taught John um, not only Morse code, but they also put together uh, a very crude crystal set radio. And this was back in the 19-teens. So just when radio was emerging. And Fetzer was absolutely fascinated by the fact that this little tiny machine could pull in, you know, music and voices and all sorts of stuff just right from thin air. And that got him thinking about the, the connection between spirit and energy, and electromagnetic energy, and he began speculating about, well, what's the connection here? Perhaps they just form a kind of continuum in which everything is linked. Um, so this is well, even well before he he he'd left the Christian tradition. He was thinking in terms of of, of this this idea of everything being spirit. So for him, the metaphor of energy um, carried over, and he thought that the entire universe, eventually he came to think this, that the entire universe was composed of spirit, and that there was a, a great central sun, something he called the father of radiation, that had created the universe and was still emanating spirit. Uh, which was freely available to everybody who um, was tuned into it. So again, this radio metaphor of being tuned into. And if people tuned into it, then spiritually they could they could grow because they'd be basically tuned right into the source of, of everything, the, the spiritual center of the universe. Mm-hmm. Wow, that is, that is cool, crystals, and wow. That's yeah. Amazing. That's amazing. 
So in what sense was Fetzer a new ager, quote-unquote, that label new ager? Well, it's interesting because um, John Fetzer began talking about himself as a new ager uh, in the 1960s. And it was probably a term he got out of out of theosophy, um, but this is you know twenty years before the New Age movement at large basically arose in the United States. So he was a, a kind of early adopter of this term New Age, and what he meant by it was, um, again, he always felt that everybody um, had the ability to basically transform themselves uh, spiritually. And so everybody should take the opportunity in life um, for spiritual transformation. But that wasn't really enough because he really felt that if enough people spiritually transform themselves, then this would basically have an additive effect and, and catalyze a global spiritual transformation. And that's what he was looking for, and that's what he thought the New Age would be, would be a global spiritual transformation that would put humanity on a higher plane of consciousness, and that would lead to advances in, in you know, all sorts of things, in, in just our, our knowledge of the universe, in medicine, in science, but also would go a long way to abolishing negatives, things like war and poverty. Hmm. Well, we're, we're still working on it, I guess. <laughs> well, he always thought it was a long-term process. And in fact, he talked about his institute as having a 500-year mission. So I, he, he didn't have any illusions that this was going to happen soon. No, hopefully sooner than 500 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, what were some of the metaphysical tradition that Fetzer was really interested in? Well, um, after spiritualism, uh, one of the major traditions he got involved in, uh, uh, never joined a, uh, a group, but um, was really fascinated reading about, was theosophy. Mm. And theosophy, of course, is the 19th century tradition that arose in the United States, um, there were uh, two founders, um, uh, a man named Colonel Olcott uh, and um, Helena Bolivatsky, who was uh, uh, a medium who um, settled in the United States after a very kind of peripatetic existence. And the two of them got together and they basically decided they wanted to create an organization um, to study comparative religion, but also with the idea that they could basically harmonize um, Eastern and Western esoteric spirituality. And so a lot of interesting ideas came out of theosophy, like this whole idea of, of human spiritual evolution um, comes out of theosophy. Uh, the notions of karma and reincarnation were communicated to the West um, uh, through theosophy as well. And in fact, this is where John Fetzer really got his interest in, in reincarnation and past lives. And there was also this idea that um, people could contact um, ascended masters, so higher spiritual beings, uh, through a process that we call channeling today, but um, who essentially would guide us in our spiritual evolution. So theosophy was tremendously important. Uh, there were um, he was interested in Hermeticism and Rosicrucianism, which are two traditions that really are rooted in ancient Neoplatonism, and this whole idea of, of the the macrocosm and microcosm mirroring each other. Um, he was interested in New Thought, 
which, um, of course, the most famous New Thought movement is Christian science. He was never into Christian science, but he was into um, these other New Thought movements in which uh, the power of the mind to basically influence reality was, was paramount. So these were some of the traditions. He was also a, a Freemason and uh, went all the way up to the 33rd degree of the Scottish Rite Masonry. So he's fascinated by the rituals and symbolisms of Freemasonry. Again, I could go on and on because he was just into just so many of these movements out of which he basically created his own worldview. Yeah, usually it's good to study different things because you can take a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and incorporate it to what your belief system is. At least that's my experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was very eclectic. He he talked about freedom of the spirit, and he believed that everybody had the right to freedom of the spirit, which was basically charting your own spiritual path. And um, I think that's one of the reasons why he left traditional Christianity, because uh, it just didn't allow for that kind of um, latitude, that kind of freedom that he was looking for. Yeah, yeah, it, it does, and it kind of confines you. When I was raised a Roman Catholic, and I was, uh, I went to Catholic school, and I remember my mom wanted me to be confirmed. And I walked out mm-hmm. of confirmation orientation because I felt it was so confining as I was starting to research other New Age thought forms at the time. And mm-hmm. one of them, believe it was not, was Shirley MacLaine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> out on yeah. a limb reading that stuff, and she would be like, she was mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I mean, 14, I'm walking out of class. But anyway, uh-huh. I get it. Sometimes you have to um, break the confines of what you know because you know there's something better and it's not you. Yeah. So that's that's what freedom is. Yeah. Uh, what were, what were uh, some of Fetzer's spiritual practices? Well, um, the two most important spiritual practices were um, he was very interested in various forms of divination. And um, so early on, he got very interested in astrology and and the use of tarot cards. Um, But later on, he got very interested in in dowsing. And one of the things he used to do was um, he carried around a a pocket pendulum, which was little more than than a weight on the end of a string. And when he had important... Uh, decisions to make, sometimes business decisions, sometimes personal decisions, sometimes spiritual decisions, he would take it out and just, you know, hold it until it was perpendicular and then ask it a series of yes-no questions. And um, depending on the way it deflected, now I was never able in my research to actually understand how he used it, but either in the way it deflected left or right or whether it, it describes circles, in a clockwise direction or a counterclockwise direction, um, this gave him hints as to what the the best decision might be. And he carried a pendulum, apparently, uh, from the 1930s until, you know, the day he died. He really believed in the power of mind over matter and the the use of this little kind of technology um, to help him make decisions. So that was one of his practices. He was also... um, very interested in, in the Ouija board uh, and worked that um, since the 1930s as well. And then another practice that became increasingly important to him uh, as he aged, especially in his 70s and 80s, was meditation. And he had read about meditation for years, um, but he admitted that he'd never actually um, committed to a program of meditation uh, well into his 70s. And then 
he met the Maharishi Yogi of Transcendental Meditation and got very interested in TM. And uh, the Maharishi basically instructed him in the practice, and, and, and Fetzer reciprocated by um, giving the Maharishi uh, uh, advice on how to basically promote um, Transcendental Meditation through the American media. So that's, a, that's an interesting story. But Fetzer basically began practicing Transcendental Meditation uh, from the mid-1970s. And he and his wife took up the practice and found it just tremendously useful, um, not only for spiritual insights, but also for peace of mind and, of course, relaxation. And so he continued some form of meditation uh, through the rest of his life. And in fact, in the 80s, he took up something called Syriot Shab Yoga, which is a Radhaswami tradition of meditation. And he had a caretaker in his last year who was uh, actually an, an initiate and devotee of this tradition. And so together, faithfully, every day, they would basically practice their meditation. And he found this just tremendously useful um, to get his kind of spiritual balance. It is. TM's my next thing. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. <laughs> a TM is great. A transcendental meditation, it's, it's a great practice from what um, I practice a little bit of it. Um, did Fetzer believe that science and spirituality necessarily conflicted? No. In fact, he really believed, and I think this was part of his overall spiritual quest, that um, science and spirituality were ultimately two sides of the same coin. And um, I think this, again, begins all the way back with that little tiny crystal set that he had when he started thinking about the the connection uh, between um, empirical energies, radio energies, electromagnetic energies, radiation, and subtle energy. And so he really felt that the, the um, spiritual and the material world form a continuum, and that if human beings were really going to advance and advance scientifically, they would have to discover uh, a spiritualized science. Um, and so he was very interested in kind of unorthodox or cutting-edge science. Um, I mean, that's one of the reasons why he was so interested in parapsychology, because he thought that might be a way of, of actually um, of, of coming up with a way of spiritualizing science or proving the reality of the spirit through science. So for him, it was tremendously important, and that always re- remained one of the most important things for his quest. Hmm. Yeah, it doesn't have to conflict. Everything works together, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Some people have to compartmentalize and you know separate things. What did Fetzer believe was the connection between mind, body, spirit, and health and well-being? Well, since he believed everything was spirit, um, he really believed that the human mind was kind of the 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 what the, the conduit between the worlds, between the spiritual and the material, and so the human body made up of mind, body, and spirit, uh, essentially was put into balance um, by through the mind, through the, the channeling of spirit. So ultimately, he believed that all health and happiness really depended on, uh, on an openness to spirit. And so for him, it was very important in the 1980s 
um, to begin funding research into holistic medicine um, because he felt that that was tremendously important. It also fit into his idea of, of coming up with a spiritualized science. So he felt it was tremendously important that um, medical science recognize the reality of spirit and approach it from a holistic point of view. And of course, he starts talking about these things during the 1960s, and this is you know years before holistic medicine really became ma- mainstream in this country in the 80s and 90s. Hmm. Yes, it does. So, and this is an interesting question. Why did Fetzer rely so heavily on spiritual advisors and channelers? Well, it's interesting because um, for all his his kind of prowess as a businessman, he he really felt that psychically he wasn't as advanced as he would like to be. Um, He did believe that he had a a certain kind of um, psychic power, a certain kind of ESP to make good business decisions, but he never really thought of himself as as um, as a, a, a psychic virtuoso, so he, he always relied on other people um, to help him see and interpret the spiritual world. So from the beginning, back in the 1930s, when he went down to Camp Chesterfield, uh, he, he identified mediums down there who he felt were genuine uh, and who gave him good advice and good insights into the spiritual world. And from that point on, he always relied on people he felt were more spiritually advanced than he was um, to uh, basically guide him in his, his spiritual quest. And later in life, he got uh, very interested in the phenomenon of channeling. And during the last decade of his life in the 1980s, uh, he had a channeler named Jim Gordon, who essentially was kind of his his, his house psychic, if you will. Uh, he was basically on call to help John Fetzer, uh, not only with his own spiritual search, but through, through Jim Gordon's channelings to help uh, kind of give a good orientation to the mission of the Fetzer Institute, which John Fetzer was then in the process of creating. So channelers, psychics, um, mediums, all these folks, if he thought they were genuine, um, he thought were tremendously important for his own spiritual journey. Yeah, it is. I mean, I, that's one of my things that some people consult me on business and that. And, you know, we can be helpful <laughs> in other ways mm-hmm. and see a different perspective. And, you know, there's not, a, you know, there's a lot of genuine people out there, you know, so. Well, I think that's, so- that's a key idea. I mean, it's, it's getting another perspective. Um, even though John Fetzer was, he was compartmentalized in terms of his search, uh, he always had a circle of friends share his ideas that he could bounce these ideas off of and get advice from. So um, it was always tremendously important for him not to be completely isolated in his spiritual search. He always had a group of friends and a psychic, somebody he relied on to help him uh, basically see forward. Did he find it, Did were these circle of uh, friends, these advisors, these counsel, did he have a hard time having them, did he, he did, you said that certain personal, you know, close uh, business associates didn't know this, so how did he mm-hmm. keep that separate from these business associates with these, the spiritual circle of friends, you think? Well, uh, I think he, he just simply um, made time for them. Um he uh um during the 1970s um he was introduced to a course in miracles 
And okay. in fact, he was one of the first uh, people to read the published um, version of A Course in Miracles. He was very good friends with uh, Judy Sketch Whitson, who was the publisher. And um, he felt that immediately that he needed to be studying these texts with a group of friends. So when he 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 got them while he was at his his vacation home in Arizona, and when he came back to Kalamazoo, uh, he brought together a group of friends who met in kind of closed door sessions in his office uh, every week to basically talk about A Course in Miracles. So I think his business associates knew that he was he was doing these kinds of things, but he still really only confided into a, a specific group of people he felt comfortable with. Yeah, it's interesting, like you said, how you can separate the one from the other, but yet they were intertwined in a lot of mm-hmm. ways, especially with making business decisions or personal decisions. That's cool. That's really cool. How did uh, Fetzer's belief in reincarnation impact and past lives impact the way he lived his life. Well, this is very interesting because, um, as I said earlier, he really um, came across the idea of, of past lives and karma uh, in the 1930s, and that was an idea that really took hold. And over his lifetime, uh, either consulting psychics or using the Ouija board, uh, he basically reconstructed a series of past lives that he believed went all the way back to the continent of Atlantis. And what he believed was that in each one of these past lives, um, even though he was a different person in a different cultural situation, a different environment, nevertheless, he was always working for the kind of the same goal that he was working for in this life, uh, which was to basically catalyze global spiritual transformation. And so at the end of his life, he really believed that... um, all these lives had basically given him the knowledge and wisdom to finally create an institution that would achieve his goal. So he felt that his past lives were were failures in a certain sense, since he never managed to carry out his mission, and yet they were tremendously important because they were all leading up to his present life uh, and the creation of the Fetzer Institute. And in fact, he was so sure that this was it that he, he basically said, well, I don't think I'll be coming back this time. And he was very happy about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, usually you're just happy when you find out this is your last lifetime and you're just ecstatic <laughs> and you're just like, I don't want to go through this again. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you think about it when you have to go through the trials and tribulations of your present life, you're like, I don't have to come back and do this, so I might as well get through it now. That's or right. At least that's, that's my viewpoint. Uh, for Fetzer, what was the spiritual meaning of wealth? Because people think that wealth and spirituality, like I said in the beginning of the intro on the show, they're two different elements, but really they're intertwined. Mm-hmm. Yeah, John Fetzer always said that money is nothing more than energy. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's yep. energy to do things in the world, and energy is is neutral. Um, you know, it's like fire. Fire is great; it's a form of energy. It can it can cook our food, but you can also get burned by it if you if you're careless. So. It's a for him money was a kind of neutral thing, but to give it meaning, uh, it had to be incorporated into his larger spiritual mission. And I think over a lifetime he meditated on the meaning of wealth. Um, I don't think he ever expected to become as rich as he became, and so it became a kind of quandary for him. Um, you know, why did I get this wealthy, and what am I really supposed to? 
do with this money? And that, as that, he developed the idea that eventually the money should be used as an endowment for the for the foundation for the Fetzer Institute. So for him, the money making was was important. He loved doing it. He was very good at it. But ultimately, the the wealth only had a meaning uh, if you put it in a spiritual context. And I think that's one of the lessons I'd like people to take away from the book is that, you know, um, spirituality for money making, okay, that's fine. But it's really the spirituality of money, which people bring to their wealth, that's so important. Right, because... It only not helps you by, you know, freedom of experience, whatever you want to experience, but also it helps pay it forward to others mm-hmm. as well, like Fetzer did with his foundation and education and helping those who don't have the wealth that maybe you've acquired in a lifetime. So, you know, hey, it helps you and it helps others too. <laughs> it just keeps That's on right. getting. Well, and, uh, he always thought again, yeah. if it's energy, it has to flow. Energy, energy right. has to flow. And so exactly. money is energy. And if it's to do good in the world, it, it can't just sit like, mm-hmm. you know, static electricity. It, it has to flow in order to actually do work in the world. Exactly. And then when you're brought up in a household that, you know, money doesn't grow on trees or money's the root of all evil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You have to overcome that thought process too, because you're like, uh, wait a minute, money's not bad. It, like Fester <laughs> believed, money is a neutral energy, and it's like what you mm-hmm. do with it, like you said. And that's what I want my audience also to think about, my the listeners out there too. How do they view money, and what is it? What's its role in, in your life, and what have you been brought up, and what fears or not fears? Mm-hmm. So that's another thing to think about too. Yeah, and I think for John Fetzer, it was also a matter of control, too. He didn't want his money or his wealth or his fame to control him, but he wanted to control it in order to fulfill his larger mission. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. So, did Fetzer's spirituality help him to become a business success, in your opinion? Um, I think so, and I think the uh, again he thought he to some degree had a little psychic ability, and he always talked about it in terms of ESP that mm-hmm. he had the ability to make general generally to make good business decisions. Not all of his decisions were great, but most of them were, and mm-hmm. it was also important in terms of uh, choosing the kinds of people that he had around him. Uh, he mm-hmm. thought was also part of his psychic gift. So that I think. Yeah, I, I, I think he, he really believed that at some level, um, his psychic abilities had helped him become a business success. And I think even beyond that, what, what the, the belief in, in psychic power, especially in things like the pendulum brought him was a degree of confidence that he probably wouldn't have had otherwise. Um, because he made some pretty bold business decisions at times when people thought he was nuts for getting into this or that new technology. And nine times out of ten, uh, they turned out to be winners. Well, it's like the um, a modern day um, role model would be Richard Branson, you know, the founder of Virgin Air. You know, mm-hmm. he's quoted saying that you know he set up his board of directors because of his intuition, which was counterintuitive. You know, he could you know um, veto the board's ideas. And usually they, you know, his outlandish, you know, intuitive ideas were actually money makers. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, I think That's he's right. quoted saying something like that. I remember hearing him talk about that. Yeah, I think they would be kindred spirits. Yeah. Yes, they would. I was just thinking the same thing. I'm like, wow, Fetzer and Branson, definitely. 
Did Fetzer ever apply his spiritual ideas to his running of the Detroit Tigers? Well, generally, he tried to uh, take a kind of hands-off approach to the running of the ball team. Um, so he hired the, you know, he put people he trusted in place in the higher management, and then he basically let, you know, the the management run the team because he always felt that owners who got too involved in, in kind of the day-to-day nitty-gritty on the ball field uh, uh, created losing clubs. So for the most part, and he, he got a kind of bad rap that he was an absentee owner, which was absolutely not the case um, because even though he lived in Kalamazoo and, and wasn't in Detroit, Every day, he was uh, in telephone contact with his general manager. Uh, every day, sometimes twice a day. So he was he was very tuned in to what was going on. But for the most part, he tried to basically um, not impose him or his spiritual ideas on the team, um, except for a couple of notable occasions, which are kind of interesting. Um, one has to do with transcendental meditation. Uh, he became so taken with transcendental meditation that he thought, oh, this would be great for the ball team. So at one of their spring trainings in the 70s, uh, he offered uh, free training to whoever wanted it uh, in transcendental meditation. And it was completely optional. Uh, people were not coerced into doing it. But for those who were interested, and several of the ball players were, um, they were basically given a course in transcendental meditation. And a couple of the ball players found it tremendously useful to basically center themselves and to relax and to improve their ball game and continued practicing it for several years. Now, of course, the sports writers had a field day with this. They just love the idea that, um, you know, John Fetzer, who was always seemed to be this kind of button-down character, nevertheless was introducing transcendental meditation, spiritualizing his ball team. Uh, some of the articles are, are really hilarious. Um, so that was, a, that was, I think, a very successful way of introducing a spiritual kind of practice to his ball team. Mm-hmm. And there's another story that has to do with the going back to the pendulum. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a, a, a very um, successful pitcher on the ball team, a guy named uh, Mark the Bird Fidrich. And uh, he was very interesting, not only because he was a great pitcher, but he had this very strange pitching style. And he would go up to the mound, and he would go through all sorts of interesting gyrations. He had his own rituals. He would talk to the baseball. And at a certain point, uh, Fidrich, I guess, um, became very self-conscious about what he was doing on the mound, and especially when the Sports writers started ridiculing him about it. And so um, John Fetzer one day invited Fidrich up to his office uh, in Detroit in the stadium, and he pulled out the pendulum. And he held out the pendulum, and, and basically the idea was answer any specific question, but to see whether they could move it with their minds. And according to Fidrich's recollections, uh, they, after much, you know, kind of uh, uh, intense concentration on the pendulum, they managed to make it move. 
And Fetzer's lesson here was essentially that human beings had the power of mind over matter. And so what Fidrich was doing on the mound was basically employing his mind in these various kinds of antics and rituals that he was doing uh, in order to make the baseball go where he wanted it to go. And again, Fidrich, in his recollections, basically said, well, that was a weight off my mind. And um, this whole idea of mind over matter became um, uh, um, a way of, of, of being comfortable with his own style of being a pitcher. Those are a couple of instances in which Fetzer, and it was very rare, but occasionally would uh, inject his spiritual ideas into the ball team. Hmm. Well, very interesting. That's really cool, because sometimes now that would be considered okay to do. <laughs> Back then, I guess it wasn't. <laughs> well, that's the interesting thing, because if you hear about uh, you know big-time athletes uh, meditating or doing yoga or whatever these days, nobody bats an eye. It's become so kind of mainstream and accepted that, um, you know, we don't even think about it. But back in the 70s, um, this was seen as something very strange. So, uh, to some degree, Fetzer had a, had a hand in, ma- in kind of mainstreaming some of these practices, at least for athletes. Yeah, that's really cool. It all works together. Um, why, did Fetzer, why did Fetzer keep his spiritual search a secret until later in life? Well, again, he was, I think part of it, he was simply, he was a very private person. And, um, after his experience with, uh, with Christianity in his youth, which I want to say he, he felt very positive about. Um, he got a lot out of his, his years as a Seventh day Adventist, but he felt constrained. And I think by keeping it private, he kept control over his own spiritual search. Um, that was part of it. But the other part was um, when he was building up his, his radio empire during the 1930s and 40s, uh, it was basically in a very conservative time, and southwest Michigan, even today, uh, tends to be very conservative religiously. And he was concerned that if people knew that he was these metaphysical things, that he'd lose um, advertisers and maybe even audience members. So he was very circumspect, very careful uh, in this regard, until the 1970s, when he was in his 70s, when he'd made the decision to basically slowly but surely liquidate his businesses in order to create the, found- the endowment for the Fetzer Institute. Uh, and then he became uh, progressively more and more open about his metaphysical beliefs. Um, and so then I think he felt confident that he no longer had the responsibility to maintain the businesses, uh, and he could be not completely open. He was always, he remained private, but far more open than he had been in the past. Hmm. Hmm. Well, sometimes it's between you and the universe, <laughs> you know, your spiritual That's partner. right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's like, that's where it stays. That's what my dad used to say. He goes, it's between me and God. Don't ask me questions. <laughs> <laughs> okay, dad. Because <laughs> my, my dad wasn't really religious. My mother was. So you, you uh-huh. think back to some of this stuff and you're like, <laughs> he was right. <laughs> that's true. Uh, what were some of the early projects founded, funded by the Fetzer Foundation in the 1970s and 1980s, parapsychology and energy medicine? Hmm. Yeah, well, um, like I said, in the, in the 1970s, he created a foundation uh, mm-hmm. back in the 1950s. 
Um, but he never did anything with it. And in the 1970s, when uh, he decided he wanted to devote the, the foundation, which would later become the Institute, um, to explorations of spirit, he originally, during the 1970s, thought, okay, parapsychology is probably the best thing to fund. Um, so he funded uh, a variety of projects in ESP and telekinesis, you know, moving things with your mind, and, and sometimes uh, poltergeist studies and studies of reincarnation and uh, remote viewing, things like this. And he was fascinated by parapsychology uh, ever since the 1950s. But Interestingly, by the end of the 70s, um, he had decided that parapsychology was kind of spinning its wheels, and it really wasn't making the kinds of progress that he was interested in. And he was also getting old at that point, and his health was beginning to fail, and his wife's health was beginning to fail. So he began thinking about, the, you know, a holistic approach to, uh, to health. And so he became very interested in funding projects that had to do with holistic health. Uh, he created a partnership with the um, ARE Clinic, which is the Association Research and Enlightenment, the Edgar Casey Foundation Clinic in Arizona, and was very interested in, in the research they were doing, basically testing uh, the various remedies that Edgar Casey had, had basically talked about in his readings. And one of the things that Fetzer was fascinated by was this idea of the human aura um, that we're all kind of surrounded by uh, uh, some kind of energetic uh, cloud, if you will, around the body that the body gives off a, a kind of both electromagnetic and subtle energies. And he was excited by the possibility that we might be able to come up with technologies, machines, that could measure the aura and use it to basically diagnose and treat disease. So in the last years of his life, th those were the projects he was really fascinated with, um, energy medicine or subtle energy medicine and the possibility of these kinds of um, technologies. And he passed away before uh, any of this research could really bear fruit, and subsequently the Fitzer Institute changed its orientation, changed its its focus. Um, but one of the major things that John Fetzer did was he underwrote a, an international um, conference of energy medicine, and this was back in, let's see, I think it was 87. Uh, it was the first international conference on energy medicine and energy technology, and energy medicine technology, and it was it's still cited today by people who work in this field as kind of one of the founding moments in um, in energy medicine. Hmm. Interesting. Well, we're running out of time, but would you consider yourself a seeker like John E. Fetzer? Well, um, I always tell people I'm kind of an agnostic seeker. Um, because on the one hand, I find this stuff absolutely fascinating. As people read the book, they'll, they'll see that, um, you know, I, I just find it tremendously interesting. Um, as an academic, of course, I always try and maintain a little bit of, uh, of, of objectivity to the things I'm studying. So I, I tell people, I'm, you know, for my kind of personality, this agnostic seeker, uh, I have the best possible job because on the one hand, I get to study all this stuff that attracts me. Um, but on the other hand, I get to basically maintain a kind of scholarly objectivity towards it. So who knows? Maybe at some point, you know, this is my own spiritual quest and maybe it will turn into something more. Um, but I'm certainly enjoying it as, as I go. 
It is. Uh, being a seeker, whatever you grab onto is great. Well, Brian C. Wilson, Ph.D., thank you for coming on the show. And your book is John E. Fetzer and the Quest for the New Age. And it can be found on Amazon and probably Barnes & Noble and all the other retail sites. Thank you for coming on. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And this is Amy Toy for Angel Answers with Amy Toy. And uh, join me next week for another fascinating guest. And may the angels carry you through.